Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 17. The Bible says a wicked messenger falleth into mischief, but a faithful ambassador is help. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Help us, Lord, to dwell in it richly tonight. May it dwell richly in us. I pray for these requests that have been given this evening, uh, that you'd have your will and way in each and every one of them. But Lord, I pray also that you would help all of us to be diligent as we carry these burdens to you, not just tonight, but throughout this coming week. I pray that you give us patience. I pray you give us faith to trust you in these matters and to see your will done in our life. Help us to let patience have her perfect work, to not get ahead of you, Lord, and to not lag behind you, but to walk hand in hand with you. I pray that you'd bless the preaching tonight, Lord. I admit my feebleness. I admit my insufficiency and inadequacy. And, Lord, I confess freely that without your help, there'll be nothing of benefit that'll be said tonight. So I I rely solely upon you, Lord, and I know you're capable. Lord, I love you, and I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. In Proverbs 13, 17, I want to read that simple phrase again to you. A wicked messenger falleth into mischief, but a faithful ambassador is hell. You know, when you study the book of Proverbs, which is one of my favorite books of the Bible, you'll find that it predominantly divides itself into sort of three different sections. The opening chapters of the book of Proverbs deal with wisdom, wisdom apprehended, wisdom appreciated, wisdom applied in our lives. I was going to, and the Lord didn't give me liberty to do so tonight, I may preach on it Sunday, I was going to preach on the currency of wisdom and how valuable wisdom is. And the opening chapters of the book of Proverbs are are entirely focused on how precious a thing wisdom is. I'll tell you this, you can do without a lot of things in your life, but you can't deal or do without wisdom from the Lord. There are a lot of things that we think we need that we can live without, but without wisdom, our life will always fall flat on its face. And then the closing chapters of the book of Proverbs are sort of a potpourri of different thoughts and different ideas and themes that are carried forward. But the middle portion of the book of Proverbs, and I would say the largest portion of it, is occupied with a particular literary tool that Solomon uses to great effect, and it is the concept of compare and contrast. And over and over and over again, Solomon, and we understand that Solomon may be the writer, but he's not the author. We understand it's the Holy Spirit of God, takes the pen of Solomon and over and over and over again uses this sort of ideological tool or literary concept of comparing contrast to teach us certain truths about life. Now, let me just before I get into the message, say this. The reason that that is such a powerful tool to use in argument and in compelling people is because life is really a series of choices, whether we go with God or whether we go with the world, whether we live for the Lord or whether we live for self. And over and over again, as opposed to trying to present life's issues as compounding layers of complexity and nuance, Solomon makes clear that some of the biggest issues in life are fundamentally really just a matter of right and wrong. It's really just a matter of choosing God instead of choosing anything other than God. 
And so over and over again, he'll talk about the fool and he'll talk about the wise man. He'll talk about the diligent man and he'll talk about the sluggard. He'll talk about the righteous man. He'll talk about the wicked man. And over and over and over again, he compares two individuals, the similarities between them and the disparities amongst them to try to show us that life is a matter of choices and we better make sure we're making the right choices if we want our life to be what it needs to be for the glory of God. I will tell you that your life cannot please the Lord when you're making wrong choices. I know that seems simple, but I'm going to say it again. I want you to really marinate in it a moment. Your life, irrespective of your intentions, irrespective of your talents, irrespective of your resources or your capabilities, can never be meaningful in the eyes of God or used of God in a meaningful way if you're making wrong choices. You don't have to be smart. But you do have to make the right choice when God puts it in front of you. And there is no substitute for making right choices. It's really fundamentally a matter of submitting our will to his and choosing his way above ours. And here again in Proverbs thirteen seventeen, we have another example of compare and contrast. Now, as we said a moment ago, we are right in the midst of our track-a-day challenge. And I think everybody, I don't see any strange faces. Well, I see a lot of strange faces. But I don't see any strangers in the room. Uh, I think everybody knows what we're up to right now with the track-a-day challenge and what we're doing. Uh, so I'll not go into detail explaining it. But we're right in the middle of this track-a-day challenge. And I wonder how often, this smites my heart because I don't do it often enough. I wonder how often I ask myself what kind of a messenger or ambassador I am for Jesus Christ. I wonder how often I am honest enough to scrutinize my efforts, my devotion, my passion in regards to the giving of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because as we said a moment ago, everything in life is a matter of choices. And here's the truth of the matter. We are either a wicked messenger or a faithful ambassador. I want you to ponder on that thought with me tonight. And You're not going to believe me when I say I have a short message, but I do. It's going to shock everybody. I've preached 30 funerals when everybody kills over dead here in a moment when I close. But I, I want you to think about that thought of being a faithful ambassador or being a wicked messenger. Now, the Bible describes us as as uh, preachers of the gospel, as as uh, conduits of the work of God, as vessels from which the truth of the word of God and the witness of Jesus Christ is poured forth. It describes us in both terms. Paul in the book of Romans would actually quote the book of Isaiah concerning those that bear the gospel and saying how beautiful are the feet of those that that bear good tidings. And a person that bears tidings is a messenger. That is fundamentally what their responsibility is. It is not their name that is important. It is not really their credentials that are important. All that matters is that they maintain their message intact and deliver it to the correct address. So being a messenger in and of itself is not a wicked thing. But then Solomon contrasts that idea, being a wicked messenger, with a person he calls a faithful ambassador. And let me say that while there's some overlap between an ambassador and a messenger, they are not the same thing. 
And so when we look at that phrase ambassador, does that have anything to do with you and I as as believers in Jesus Christ? Well, I believe that it does. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this about us as, as born again believers. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. So it's perfectly appropriate to say that believers can be described as a messenger, someone carrying a message to a recipient, but can also be described as an ambassador, someone who is a representative of the interests and wishes of the person that has commissioned them. So what can we learn about this and how can we apply this to our lives and how we treat the gospel of Jesus Christ? Uh, Let me say this. I want to be a faithful ambassador of Jesus Christ. I want to I want to stand to my post. I know I don't do it all the time and you probably don't do it all the time. But I want it to be said, well done, thou good, not well thought, thou good and faithful servant, not well intended, thou good and faithful servant, but well done, thou good and faithful servant. Man, I want to stand to my post and I want to do what God has called me to do. So what is Solomon teaching us? I want you to notice three thoughts and then I'll be done tonight. Think with me for a moment about the description of these two men. Now, as we said a moment ago, there are times the Bible describes us as a messenger and there are times the Bible describes us as an ambassador. And neither of those two things are necessarily infamous or noble in and of themselves. But remember that Solomon is seeking to provide a contrast in this passage. He's seeking to compare these two thoughts and show us the disparity or the difference between the two. So while it is not wrong to say we are messengers for Jesus Christ, I do think that when Solomon pinned down the word messenger, he meant it with a little bit of cynicism. I do think he meant to cast a shadow on the concept, maybe not in and of itself, but in juxtaposition, in comparison to the idea of a faithful ambassador, he wanted us to see that there's a difference and a distinction between these two descriptions. What would that distinction or that description rather be? Well, when I think of a messenger and an ambassador, I would say that in that description, there is a difference that is implied in how they view their cargo. Both men are tasked with carrying the wishes or the thoughts or the words of an individual to another person. But when I speak of someone being a messenger, the focus comes upon a message. When I think of someone being an ambassador, the focus immediately falls on a person. In other words, a person that is an ambassador is directly representative of a living flesh and blood individual. You know, though every message comes from some source and from some entity, it is equally true that when a person says to you, I have a message to deliver to you, the immediate thought is, I wonder what it says. But when a person says, I speak to you as an ambassador, the thought that immediately arrests you is, I wonder what the person they represent thinks. Can I tell you one of the failings in me personally? Some of you say, I love that preacher. I'll tell you one of the failings in, in, in me as an individual. Sometimes it is easy to distill the gospel down to the presentation of clinical facts and forget that they represent the heart of a living Savior. I, 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 this will help, I, I believe anyway, I believe this will help your soul winning. If you'll remind yourself when you witness to people, you're not just trying to vomit out a set of catechisms. You're not just trying to regurgitate a a set of, of carefully memorized theological truths. 
But you are literally standing there as a representative of Jesus Christ. The messenger, he focuses on the message and how he runs and how he behaves. And even to some degree, his timing and the providence of it is really of little effect to him. The messenger only has this in mind that my message is the preeminent thing. And if it gets delivered, it does not matter in what fashion it gets delivered. I have done my job if I have done that thing. But the ambassador understands deeply that everything he does will be representative of the person in whose stead he's standing. I will tell you that there's been lots of people in my life that I've known. And some of them meant well and some of them I'm not sure about. That really put a a bad, bad picture and testimony on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, there's been times I remember and I, you know, I grow up, I'd hear preachers preach sometimes. It didn't happen often, but but I would hear them sometimes boast in the caustic nature that they dealt with people in. And they would say it like it was a feather in their hat. Like, boy, I really told them. Can I tell you this? While there may be rare occasions in which the spirit of God has to. Uh, allow us or prompt us to maybe be a little rough with somebody in the way that we deal with them. Can I say that is orders of magnitude. That is the exception and not the rule. Man, you see this even in the disposition of Lord Jesus. The people he was rough with, he wasn't trying to win. You listening? He would have saved any Pharisee. You understand that. But when he talked to the Pharisees and called them generations of vipers and serpents, He wasn't trying to win them when he said that. He was trying to warn them when he said that. He wasn't trying to hope that they would see the the beauty of his message when he said that. He was delivering much as a messenger, delivering to them a message that he was called to deliver to them and that they were providentially bound to hear. But what we find in the in the demeanor of the Savior is when he dealt with people, he always had at the forefront of his mind the representation of the Father that had sent him. Over and over again, you hear him talking about that. You know, my message, my doctrine is not my own. It's my Father's that sent me. The works that I do, they're not my works. They're the works of my Father that sent me. We find no greater illustration and example of being an ambassador than we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that he could say in John chapter 14, Philip, have I been so long time with thee and thou hast not known me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He didn't view himself as merely a repository of words that were being expressed, but rather being the express image of God's glory, the express image of God's person. When I read this description, I'm reminded that these two men, they might view their cargo differently. The messenger might say, I have a message, I have a word that needs to be delivered, and that is all that it is. And and what, listen, I... I remember one time years ago, my pastor, it's always stuck with me. Sometimes, occasionally, once every few years, something your preacher says, you'll remember. Amen. And there was something that he used to say that one time somebody had made the comment to him, said, I don't like the way that you witness to people. And he asked him, he said, well, how do you witness to people? And they said, I don't. And he said, I like my way better. (laughs) And I don't mean I don't mean to make it seem like God can't use imperfect people. If he couldn't, he wouldn't use anybody. But I will tell you this. There are large swaths, large swaths of evangelistically minded churches 
who have distilled down the sharing of the gospel to merely the parroting of theological truths and have gutted from it any sort of personal interaction, any sort of meaningfulness. And, and the problem is when you do that, when you strip Christ out of the gospel, when it just becomes the retelling of historical facts and not the pleading with somebody on the behalf of the Savior, it won't be long. And the standard that you set for giving the gospel will become the standard you accept for them receiving the gospel. And it won't be long before you'll stick a Bible under someone's nose, say, do you understand that? They say, yeah. Say, pray this prayer, and they pray that prayer, and then they walk away and you say, well, you know God, when they haven't in any way, shape, fashion, or form exhibited that they understand the gravity of what they have done. Now, for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. So I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm glad you say, preacher, are you telling me a person can't just pray and get saved? No, that's how I got saved. I'm not saying that we have to become the profession police. I'm not saying that we have to, you know, become the conviction brigade. And if they don't cry the way we cry, it must not be real. But I am saying there is a danger when we gut the gospel of the personality and person of Jesus Christ that it becomes a rote ceremony that all we want people to do is recite. Hey, that's no better than what the Catholics do. It's no better than what the Catholics do. And so I look at these men and I think there's there's probably a difference in how they viewed their cargo. But then I would say number two, and there might be a little bit of overlap here. I, I know you'll be patient, especially if I let you out early like I lied to you about. How they view their calling is probably different. The messenger would probably say, as long as I've given the message, that's the only thing that matters. And not care a whit about what someone thinks about either the message, the messenger, or the source of the message. But the ambassador's interest in his job, his calling, his purpose, his vocation is deeply invested in making sure that the recipient of his work, that there's two things that they understand, that they understand, one, the integrity of his message. Here's what I mean by that. An ambassador's not done his job unless the person he's talking to rightly understands the wishes of the person that he's representing. It's not sufficient for him to just say, well, I delivered a word to you and now it's up to you to figure it out. An ambassador's labor really is defined by him working to communicate clearly the desires of the person that he represents. And that's why we think of a messenger as someone who maybe acts in a capacity until a job is finished. But an ambassador is somewhat of a permanent fixture. We see them as someone that that lives in a role and their job is in lieu of that person being there. They are being there and having them there is the next best thing to having that person. there. That's how Paul described it in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He said, we we pray you in Christ's stead. What did he mean by that when he said we pray you? Well, he wasn't saying that we're praying to God so you don't have to pray to God. He was saying we're praying to you or pleading to you or begging you to be reconciled to Jesus Christ in Christ's stead. What does that mean? Christ is not physically here pleading with you and begging you. But I am physically here as his ambassador. And I want you to understand just how much he loves you and just what a grand plan he has for your life. So an ambassador, a messenger could say, well, as long as I just handed over the message, I've done what, uh, what, my, my, what I've been commissioned to do. But an ambassador would say, uh, the person has to rightly understand the substance of what I have given and the spirit in which it is intended. It's not done his job unless he's communicated not just the words of the person, but the heart of the person 
that he is represented. So I would say the description of these two men is important. But then I want you to notice the distinction between these two men. There are two very powerful words used in this verse. And I want you to think about them in comparison to each other. One of the things I love to do, because sometimes when you read, let's see if I can explain this right. I doubt I can, but I'll try. Sometimes when you read these comparison and contrast statements in the book of Proverbs, sometimes what's in column A does not seem like the polar opposite of what is in column B. And therein lies the beauty of God's word. What it's trying to say is, in actuality, there is a polar opposite relationship between those two things. And that very often is the very truth that God is trying to teach us. And I'm just scanning the the, the word of God here, and there's example after example. But for instance, the the Bible says in in, uh, chapter number or verse number 8, the very uh, next verse of chapter 13, or I'm sorry, the previous one, it says, the ransom of a man's life are his riches, but the poor heareth not rebuke. In other words, it's saying a man whose life is vested and wrapped up in wealth. It's not just that he has wealth. Wealth has him. But the poor man heareth not rebuke. He ain't got to listen to your nonsense. He don't owe you nothing, right? And so oftentimes it is in that comparison that the truth that the verse is communicating is put into stark relief. Well, let's stop and think about this verse again. A wicked messenger falleth into mischief, but a faithful ambassador is hell. What does that tell me? It tells me this. There is only one of two things that I can be. It tells me that unfaithfulness is wickedness. And it tells me that righteousness is faithfulness. We often try to create daylight between those concepts. We do so with a myriad of excuses that satisfy us and maybe satisfy others, and I'd very seriously doubt satisfy God. You see, there'd be many people that would say, I can be both righteous and unfaithful. And I will tell you, there may be some elements of life in which that is a a possibility. I understand, you know, people infirmed and health is bad and there's times that a person, I mean, we have shut-ins, right? We don't have the, you know, old people setting a home sinners ministry around here. Amen. We've got some of (laughs) y'all, we're waiting on some of y'all to graduate, amen, but no, we say shut-in ministry. Why? Because we understand. We understand there are people that they are faithful where they're at, and they'd be here if they could be here, but they can't be here. You see, there are maybe some circumstances in life in which a person can be righteous and unfaithful to a particular given thing, but remember what the substance is of this verse. It's the giving of the gospel. It's the carrying forth of the message of God. It's being an ambassador for the Lord. And here's what Solomon says. Solomon says you can only be one of two things when it comes to being a witness for the Lord. You can either be faithful or be wicked. Let's say it this way. He would say you can either be righteous or you can be unfaithful. Ah, That's rough preaching. Solomon's preaching at you tonight. Here's what he's saying. He's giving you no quarter. And he's saying this. There's no excuse for a man being unfaithful in the matter of telling folks about the goodness of God. I know that I have excuses. I got a whole, I mean, I got a whole book of them that I, I just, I keep adding to in my life and they satisfy my flesh, but they don't satisfy the Lord. And as long as I care more about my conscience than I care about his heart, I will continue to be satisfied with those excuses. But the moment that I care more about his heart, than I do about my conscience, 
I will have to acknowledge and recognize that if I am being an unfaithful ambassador, I'm being wicked in the way that I live. No matter what your excuse, what my excuse may be, the distinction between these two men, because it's not that a messenger's intrinsically bad and an ambassador is intrinsically good, it's that this messenger is a wicked messenger. Why is he wicked? Well, why, what would you, how would you call someone a bad messenger? You would call someone a bad message if the message either did not get delivered intact or did not get delivered at all. And why would you call a man a faithful ambassador? Because he had stood to his post, he had done his job, and he had faithfully represented your interest. Can I say that there is much in the work of God? And if you love the Lord and if you serve in the local church, you'll you'll do all kinds of weird things. <laughs> I was looking, we were having Sunday or uh, vacation Bible school this past year, and I was watching Zach put on an inflatable dinosaur costume. And I looked at him and said, nobody ever said ministry looked like this, did they? <laughs> he said, no, I would have never imagined. But if we really want to distill down what serving the Lord looks like, I think it could be summarized in that word or that phrase, being a faithful ambassador. I am a representative of Jesus Christ. And whatever else I may do, if I fail at that, I've failed at the principal thing. I am here to, that when men look at me, they would learn something of who Christ is. If when they look at me, they learn the wrong things about Christ, or they assume the wrong things about him, I've failed. It doesn't matter if I can sing well, if I can preach well. It doesn't matter if I you know, have a big bank account and tithe a lot or, or give to missions. Whatever else I may do, all good in and of themselves, is meaningless if I have failed at what is my calling. I would note to you that while certainly an ambassador's goal is to reconcile people unto the person he represents, that may be his goal, but that is not his calling. His calling is not that the person must be reconciled. You know, Paul talked about, he prayed. He said, pray for us that God would deliver us from unreasonable, wicked and unreasonable men. He said, not all men have the faith. There are some people you won't ever win. There are some people that are unreasonable. They can't be reasoned with. There are some people you'll never reach. And so though your goal may be to reconcile, that's not your calling and purpose. Your calling and purpose is to represent him, to be a faithful representative. So I see the description of these men, and I see the distinction between these two men. But finally, and I'm done, I want you to notice the destiny of these two men. A wicked messenger, well, what happens to him? Well, he falleth into mischief. But a faithful ambassador, this is an intriguing statement, is health. Isn't that fascinating? Notice, number one, the snare of the wicked messenger. The Bible says he falleth into safety. Uh, you know why that is? Because if he's not on the path, he's off the path. You listening? If he's not on the path, he's off the path. If he stays on the path, he will be a faithful messenger. Because he will arrive at the destination he has been commissioned and he has been called to. In fact, him keeping a focus as to his task is a great safety in and of itself. It keeps him from the cliffs and the ledges that he might fall down. It keeps him from the wayward paths that he might take. It keeps him from wandering off and getting lost elsewhere. In fact, as long as he'll stay on task and on purpose, he will walk a path of safety 
and of surety. You know what often happens in our life? We lose the plot of what our purpose is. And we think our purpose is all sorts of different things. We think our purpose is to make a bunch of money or, or, you know, to have a big family or to raise our kids well or to whatever that might be. And all those are good things. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm for that. I'm for you having money and a lot of kids and raising them well. Amen. If you're going to have a lot of them, raise them well. Lord help. But I will tell you that at the end of the day, that's not why we live and breathe. I, I hope that in all the good things God may do in and through your life, that you never lose track of what your chief work is in this world. And that's to be a faithful messenger of the gospel. To be a faithful messenger of the gospel. Now here's what happens. When you get off the path, you're off the path. When your life becomes about something else, it can be about anything else. You see, that's the wonderfully sanctifying thing about falling in love with Jesus Christ. It beautifully focuses your life. Because when he is the main thing, nothing else can be a distracting thing. But when we lose sight of him as the main thing in our life, well then, the the potential for loss and devastation is almost endless. We could go any direction. You know what the problem is with the messenger that don't do his job? Is how many of you were raised and told by your parents, idle hands are the devil's playthings. When you're not serving the Lord and focused on the Lord and his calling in your life, it won't be long and you'll begin to be drawn away to other mischief that can lay waste your life. I see the snare of of the wicked messenger, but then I see the safety of the faithful ambassador. I like this. A faithful ambassador is health. Doesn't say he's healthy. Says he is health. What does it mean by that? Well, one interpretation, one idea could be that what he's saying is if the man stands at his post, he will be standing in a place of safety. But here's what I would suggest to you. There's two things we could understand from it. One is this, that the ambassador enjoys the safety he enjoys because he's doing the job that he's called to do. We, uh, even in our country, and I don't necessarily think Solomon had this in mind, But I do think it's worth pointing out. We have a thing in this country. If you're a diplomat, you have what's called diplomatic immunity. And um, the actually all of our politicians have diplomatic immunity. I don't know if you're aware of that. They uh, all do. But um, the idea of diplomatic immunity is that the protection of your country extends to wherever you are because you're there doing a work for them. And that you are not judged by the laws of the country you are dwelling in, but you are judged by the laws of a different country and of a different place. And so by dint of standing in that role and standing in that place, you can have confidence that as long as you please the people that have sent you, you have nothing to fear no matter what circumstances may arise. I think that the most blessed thing you can do in your life is fall in love with Jesus Christ and live your life to please Him. And when you do that, you'll find this, you're judged by the laws of a different country. I'm not saying they won't throw you in jail in this one. I'm saying at the end of the day, there's a greater judge and there's a greater judgment. And you'll wind up far better off in that case. There's a second understanding I would have of it. A faithful ambassador is hell. Well, who's he health to? Well, he's health to himself, 
But there's nothing that suggests that that health is limited only to him. In fact, his sanctifying presence in the place that he's in provides and extends to all those around him the same privileges and fellowship, dare I say citizenship, that he himself enjoys. In other words, he's there and his presence there because he's there. Why do we send ambassadors to other countries? Well, I got a lot of cynical answers, but one reason is because we're interested in the people there. We're interested in what happens there. I'll go ahead and give you a real cynical reason. Part of it is we got plans concerning them. Why did Jesus Christ leave us here as ambassadors? He's interested in this world. He's interested in the people of this world. He has plans for the lives of the people of this world, not nefarious, but glorious. And so that ambassador, if he will keep his focus and keep his task at hand, not only will it be health to him, but it'll be health to those around him. Here's the question I want to ask. Be honest. Be honest about your life. Are you a faithful ambassador? Or are you a wicked messenger? The good news about it is a wicked messenger, if he has the chance to change, can become a faithful ambassador. Guess what you and I have tonight? We have a chance to change. And I hope that we'll let the Spirit of God do that work in and through us. Let's bow together. Lord, I love you. And I pray that you'd bless this invitation. I want you to have your perfect will and way over these next few moments. So help us to be honest and sincere. You can't do what needs to be done if we won't be honest. So, Lord, help us to be honest this evening that you might receive glory and that you might work in us. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Christ's name.